Take your Bibles, if you will, look in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at chapter number 18. Matthew chapter number 18. Some of y'all may be familiar with this section of Scripture already. Matthew chapter 18, we'll pick up with verse 15. Let me put this cell phone down here. It's on do not disturb, but that doesn't mean it won't do something. Start levitating or talking or whatever. Verse 15, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, there's obvious limits to that. Like we can't pray that some country will be vaporized. You know, two of us get together and say we want Russia to go away or, you know, we all want Mercedes-Benz cars. So it's, it's the idea of praying in the will of God and how that corporate prayer is important. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute or two. So two, ask, and it shall be done of them for my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Years ago when we were trying to buy property here over where the old auditorium is, we were trying to buy two acres and the state was giving us trouble about tax exemption. And so we got to get an attorney, and he did it pro bono. We went downtown, and he argued with the judge, you know, this is church property, religious use. They're going to build a building. And she said, is there a building there now? And he talked to her for a minute, and I finally said, can I say something, judge? And she said, yes. I said, ma'am, can you show me in the Bible where i got to have a building to worship God? And she'd said, well, you know, how many people go out there to do this? And I said, well, it depends. Sometimes five, ten, sometimes 25. And she said, I don't know if that's enough. I said, Jesus said if two or three were gathered. And the lawyer said, that's a good point. <laughs> we, we got one acre exempt. The other acre wasn't. But just one year. And then she made it exempt the second year. I, I, quite honestly, I think she just wanted to throw a weight around. But. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? <laughs> Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Then we're going to look at verse 23 through 35, and we hopefully will have enough time to do that tonight, because it it's, his, it's part and parcel of what we just read. It, it's explanatory. 
There really isn't any argument that excuses you and I from forgiving other believers. He said, but you don't know. I said, I don't have to know. There is no argument, biblical argument, that will sustain and, and say that you don't have to forgive somebody. The biblical standard is Ephesians 4.32, be ye kind, tenderhearted, one towards another, forgiving one another, even as God, what? For Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So I'm supposed to forgive the same way that God forgives. That's a tall order, but that's what the Bible says. That's, that's the biblical standard. We are challenged in Scripture in, in the context around the Lord's Prayer to be people of forgiveness. Back up to Matthew chapter number 6 for just a minute. Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 11. This is towards the end of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Now the word debts uh, is a Hebrew way of saying sin. So you don't think he's talking about money here. It's sin. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that lines up exactly with Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 through 35, where there was a man who was forgiven who couldn't go out and forgive anybody else. So let's kind of, we'll look at some of those things. Unity in your home requires forgiveness. The children have to be forgiven. Sometimes parents have to be forgiven. Problems, you know what? Moms and dads, husbands and wives don't always exactly agree. There are occasions when they disagree, and sometimes the disagreements become, shall we say, warm and a bit more intense, and that's when you get one of those, are you okay? Yeah. Are you sure? I'm fine. And, of course, men do that as well. It's not just, that's not just ladies that do that. Sometimes men, I'm going outside, go off, you know, and off they go. Forgiveness is the seed and plot of unity in your marriage. Unity in the church requires forgiveness. A number of years ago, I was in Bible college, so over 42 years ago, I was asked to come preach a revival meeting in Arkansas. My parents were attending church there, and their pastor invited me. So I went over and preached a, a three- or four-day meeting for them. I don't remember now. I think it was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. could have been a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but I think it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the pastor told me, finally, uh, he said, the folks on this side of the building won't talk to the people that sit on this side. He said, there's family differences, and he said, it's hard to pastor these folks. They wouldn't talk to each other, and I observed that. They went in, went out without intermingling at all. These folks had mingled. And these folks had mingled, but they wouldn't mingle together. That hurts a church. Unity in a church requires forgiveness. He said, well, you don't understand, Pastor. That really bothered me. I'm, I'm sorry it bothered you. And if you think you're immune to be or that you deserve to never be offended, i got some more news for you. All of us, if we got offended as much as we deserve to be offended, there's no telling what would happen. Probably be very little, wouldn't it? 
Maturity in our Christian life demands that we learn the sweetness of forgiveness. You know, when a husband and wife have had a difference of opinion, the, the making up, the reconciliation sweet, wonderful. When you have a child that you've had problems with and you get that ironed out, that's a sweetness that goes, goes along with that. Well, notice what he said here in, in the text of Scripture. Uh, he said, if thy brother. So we're talking about a Christian. We're not talking about somebody outside the church. We're talking about another Christian. Do you remember Paul and Barnabas over in Acts chapter number 13? Uh, where John Mark left them and then get to chapter 15. And Barnabas said, look, let's take John Mark back with us. He'll, you know, he'll do okay. and We'll get him, get him built back up and... Paul said, no, he left us at a bad time. I don't want him around. And they, the contention, the Bible says this, contention became so sharp that they, de they departed one from the other. Look in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Philippians is, is my wife's favorite book of the Bible. She's always glad when I preach from it or quote it. Philippians chapter two, verse chapter four, excuse me, verse number two. I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. You know what that means? They'd been at odds with one another. One had one thought, and one had another thought. Everybody, when 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 you start decorating a building, you start buying things for a church, everybody's got their own opinion. And you're entitled to your own opinion. You're just not entitled for your opinion to be the only opinion. Uh, and so we, we do like a, a majority is the way we, we do things like that, you know. And, and if you're in the minority about a certain color or type of thing, don't let it bother you. It's not a personal issue. Uh, just say they got bad taste and I'll just have to do with it, you know, and, and move on. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse number 8 says, Charity shall cover... The multitude of sins. That's that idea of being gracious, forgiveness. Uh, James chapter 5, verse number 20. Turn over there with me. It's a little different in the book of James. James is a very practical book. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not a lightweight book. It's, you know, you talk about the tongue. you got that big chapter on the tongue and uh, works, the, the importance of works in your Christian life. Chapter 5 and verse number 20. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So forgiveness, whether it comes from us, or whether it comes from God, hides a multitude of sins. Maturity is a part of forgiveness. There's a reward if you are mature enough to address a, a brother who's hurt your feelings. Now, let's get a, let's get a, a, a reference point here. Uh, I'm an Alabama fan. Roll Tide. Some of y'all are cursed. You love UT and other places. You know, we got different, different places. Folks like different things. It's just a football game. Let's say we get to talking. And, you know, some people argue over these things and get at odds with one another and that type of thing. We're not going to bring that for the church. If you come for the deacons and say, me and so-and-so here, I'm an Alabama fan and he's a UT fan, and yet I'm going to tell you don't even think about bringing that for the church. That is not worthy of church trial. 
we'll deal with that on a, on a lesser level. So this is not talking about every little thing that comes down the pike. It's talking about some, some real measurable biblical reason that there's an offense involved. Uh, being able to discuss difficult things without anger and without too much emotion is Christian maturity. There's, there's some hard things sometimes have to be said or just difficult. And here's our problem. We are afraid how the other person's going to react. What are they going to say? How are they going to take it? Well, if you speak in love, hopefully they'll take it in love. And the Bible says, if thy brother hear thee, you've gained your brother. And you've kept it, what, just between the two of you. You have no right to be offended and go tell somebody else not involved that you're offended. Not only that, but you have no right to pick up somebody else's offense. Well, my friend got offended, and I'm going to take their side. No, you don't. You're getting out of the will of God if you do that. We're supposed to make our decisions based on principles and not personalities. So don't pick up somebody else's offense. So if thy brother uh, trespass against thee, and it means it could happen, just like we read over in 1 John chapter 2, my, my little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin... So we have that in verse 15. Uh, and you get it just between you and him, get it dealt with, sweet fellowship, everything's fine. But if you won't hear, and it's a serious matter, then you take a, another brother with you, somebody that you know that he loves, somebody who's close to him, and, and two of you go, three of you go, and you do that so that you can make sure that what you're saying comes across properly. Sometimes people don't understand what we're saying. I'll give you a for instance, and, and this lady never came back to church. Uh, she came to me and said, would you pr please pray for my daughter's pastor? He's been accused of something, and she had the newspaper article. And my answer back to her was, yes, ma'am, as the Lord leads, I'll pray for him. Well, I put it on my desk, and every morning I prayed for that guy when I was there at my desk. Well, she didn't come to church the next week, and she didn't come the week after that, so... I got with the, the fellow who'd invited her to come. I said, I'm, I'm missing so-and-so. Yes, she's mad at you, Pastor. And I said, well, what's she mad about? She said, you told her you'd only pray for that man if God told you to. I said, have you ever heard me say anything like that? I said, what I said to her was, as the Lord leads me. And I called her up, got her on the phone, explained to her, and she accepted it. It seemed to be fine, but she never came back to church. And... And so that was just a bad situation. I, we couldn't get it fixed, you know. But I, over the phone, it seemed like we were okay. But I never saw her again. And I, I was grieved that she thought that I had said that. Sometimes people hear what they want to hear. And have you ever messed up your words? Joe Biden does it a lot. Well, so do some of us. We stumble over words. We say the wrong thing. We don't mean it to come out the way it comes out. Uh, maybe our tone is harsh or something like that. I, I'm thinking of another, and this falls on me. A lady said something. She's been visiting, and she said, Pastor, thank you for the visitor letter you sent me. It was so great. And I said, I do that for everybody that comes. But she took that as me just kind of being, it doesn't mean anything to me. And, and, and as I thought about it, you know, I thought, man, I said that wrong. That was just foolish of me to say that. What I should have said, I'm glad to write visitor letters. I'm the, anybody who comes, you know. But it came out wrong, and that was me. That's my fault. 
Uh, so it's, we can have some real offenses because we said something, and we, what we said, we meant one thing, but what came out was something else. And so if you have two or three witnesses, you can sort those kinds of things out. And you get it dealt with, and you move on, and, and everything's good. But not every person will respond properly. If thy brother, verse 16, if he will not. Not every offense rises to this level. Let me say that again. The first step is private. And some things ought to die right there. If you just can't agree, it's not a big enough thing to disagree about. Just say, well, brother, I love you, and we'll just move on and and not let it be a problem. Just put it away and and go and forget it. But if it's big enough that you need to take somebody with you, then you have some mediation, and you establish every word or every truth. And then if he won't hear that, that's when you go to the church. And the church is involved, and, and we don't do this so much, uh, we've had church discipline here through the years, and it's, uh, I, I'm never happy to do it. I've heard some folks talk about it like they're proud they did it. You know, we, we did this to this so-and-so and told them about that and told them don't let the door hit them on the way out. That's not biblical discipline. Biblical discipline is our hearts broken because of what you've done. And we're going to keep praying for you and loving on you. Whether you ever get right with God or not, we're going to still love you. Now, it can limit our fellowship, and the Bible talks about that in, in a, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If any man who's called a brother be, and then it's got a list of things, then you can't fellowship with them. Well, here's a problem. We got sinful flesh sinful flesh. The Bible, Paul talks about it being puffed up. You know, have you ever hit your finger with a hammer and it gets puffed up? <clears throat> or you stub your toe and, the, you know, you find the bedstead or the chest of drawers and you find it with your little toe or even your big toe. And uh, so you know what it means to be puffed up or a wash stings you and you get puffed up. That's the same idea. You get puffed up, it's touchy. The problem of sinful flesh is it refuses to admit that it's wrong. It starts to blame somebody else. What, when God came looking for Adam, what's the thing that Adam said? The woman you gave me. Refusal of godly counsel. Refusal to try to see the other side. Sometimes folks just won't do. So step two is two or three impartial witnesses. Step three if they, if they won't do that, what's happening? They're denying the, the authority of the local church and their personal accountability. Some folk take it to heart when they get disciplined by the church. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some people don't. They laugh it off. I've had people tell me, you can't do that. That's well, it's in the Bible. We can do it. But it's never to shame somebody. God forbid it be for that reason. That's, that's as wicked as, as the offense that the person did. <clears throat> Jewish rabbis said this. Remember this down there, it's loosing, binding, and loosing. Jewish rabbis said the word binding, this is, and this is probably how Paul, Matthew means it here. Binding is a declaration that something is unlawful, that it ought not to be done. Loosing is a declaration that something is lawful and it's good to do. 
And so the church does have some responsibility. The pastors have responsibility to say, thus saith the Lord, don't get involved in this and do get involved in that. We ought to be willing to help in these situations by being a witness. And usually what happens if there's an offense in the average church, somebody gets offended, and if they go to the person that offended them and they don't get it ironed out, they start telling their friends. And that's wrong. If somebody comes to you and says, Look, I, brother so and so or sister so and so, did something that greatly offended me, and I've tried to talk to them, they won't listen to me, would you go with me? The first reaction out of most church folk is, Uh uh-uh, uh, go get the preacher. But you ought to be willing to go. If that person came to you, they've got some measure of confidence in you. And you're not to go as their advocate. You're supposed to go as advocate of truth. Remember? Principle, not personality. Never, ever choose on the basis of personality. Choose on the basis of principle. So you ought to be willing to go with them and try to iron that out. And then if it can't be ironed out, then you can sit down with the pastor or the pastor and the deacons and say, we got this issue and this is what we've done. How can we handle it? And you go from there. Uh, If we're party to an offense, we must be willing to hear our side criticized and perhaps corrected. Most of us think we're right or we wouldn't do it. And it could be when we get to talking about it, we were wrong. And that, that requires some maturity on our part. The offending brother may refuse. He may refuse you and your entreaties. He may refuse you and the two or three witnesses. He may refuse you and the church congregation. And he may go away ridiculing and laughing at the body of Christ. But we don't inflict any other pain. We're not... At that point, we're done. We're not trying to hurt them. We're not trying to make their uh, life difficult. We're not going to go out in the community and, and, and say anything about them. And if, if we discipline somebody and somebody in the community says, I hear y'all uh, church so-and-so, say, well, you need to take that up with pastor. You don't have to deal with that. That's not something you need to get involved in. And I don't know what that's going on, but uh, maybe it will. The type of offense is, is important. Remember I said not everything it rises to this level. Well, moral failures. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he said if a man is a fornicator and he's called a brother, don't, you can't eat with him, can't fellowship with him. Character flaws, greedy people, people are just money, 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 money. You better be careful. What does the Bible say? The love of money is root of what? All evil. We all need some money, especially been getting these high power bills after all that heat we had. We all need some money, but, but we can't be greedy, covetous. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. Foul language. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, a, a, a railer, a blasphemer. If a guy says he's a Christian and cusses every other word, you probably ought not hang around him. You know, that's a bad thing. Drunkards. 
Alcohol creates a whole set of problems. Number one, there's the legality of it. Some people want to drink it when they're not old enough. Some people want to drink it when they're behind the steering wheel. And the standard answer when a cop stops somebody's been drinking, how much you had to drink? Oh, a couple of beers. It must have been them 44-ounce deals, the way you're driving, you know. But alcohol creates a whole set of problems, legal, moral, and ethical. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 31 and 32 says, don't look at it when it moves in the cup, when it gives its color. So I, I don't see any other way to interpret that text of Scripture other than when it's fermented, I'm not to look at it. Well, how am I going to drink it if I don't look at it? And so I don't believe God wants us to drink alcoholic beverage at all. Do we use it? It's a suspension agent in every liquid medicine you take. And if you take NyQuil at night, you're getting a little shot of alcohol. Uh, we bought some chocolate one time, or I did, I guess. I don't, I don't know if Ouija was with me or not. But it was Godiva's. Liquid centers. We bought it over in Amsterdam, you know. And so uh, coming home, and she took a bite of one and said, I don't like it. It tastes bitter. And uh, so anyhow, I, I didn't think anything of it. We came in there, and Shane just... <laughs> He was just shoving one after another down, and I got to reading, and they were liqueurs. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, he ate all the chocolate with a liqueur in it. Extortioners. These are, these are people that we need to stay away from. They're, they're, there's an offense in these, in these settings. An extortioner is somebody who makes his money in shady ways, unethical ways. Old Testament Judaism taught that you should forgive three times, no more. What did Peter say? Lord, how many times am I supposed to give this guy? You know, I, I go to him and, and I forgive him, and then I have to go back to him and forgive him, and i got to go three times. Lord, I'm ready to do seven. That's a little better than what the, the rabbis say. And Jesus had already told him, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter into heaven. And so... He said, how about seven times? And Jesus blew his mind when he said 70 times seven. Literally what he was saying is no limit. No limit. Let me give you a little quote. This is by an old Methodist preacher. Revenge is natural to men. Man is naturally a vindictive being, and in consequence, nothing is more difficult to him than forgiveness of injuries. You ever watching a Western or a military show, whatever it is, and the good guys have been all beat up and knocked down, and then they find some kind of inner strength, and up they come, and they fight, and they win, and we're glad for them to stomp the bad guys, aren't we? Put them away. That's that vindictive nature in us. We've got to, you can say, well, I just want good to, to conquer. Well, me too. But if we're not careful, we can be vindictive. The man who asks such a question, how many times do I have to forgive, doesn't really know what forgiveness means. How many times I got to say forgive, forget, three times, seven times, 490 times. It is true that Peter did not go far enough, but do we go as far as Peter? 
Are not some professors very mindful of small grievances? How many of us have grace enough even to force sevenfold forgiveness? Now, let's look at a couple of things quickly. In verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had in payment to be made. Debtor's prison. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. You'd think he would have heard his own words echoing, wouldn't you? And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgavest thee, I forgave thee all the debt of because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. If you can't forgive other people, it's not very likely you've been forgiven. If you can just get a little taste of what it, how good God is in forgiving you, it makes it a lot easier to forgive others. I'm to forgive, be kind, tenderhearted one towards another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. How'd God forgive you? Did he make you crawl on the floor? Did he make you cry for two weeks? Did he take your appetite away from you and drive all your friends away and put you into clinical depression where you couldn't move and couldn't function? No. That's not the way God deals with us. We may have been under some deep conviction. I've known some folks be under conviction for months, not weeks, but months. And they didn't know what was wrong until they finally got saved. Then they could look back. But God doesn't require us to do penance to be forgiven. Baptists have this idea about doing penance. Well, I did wrong, so I'm going to have to feel bad, you know. I did so wrong, I'm going to have to feel bad at least two weeks for this one. And we mock Catholicism because, you know, we tell them you got to do so many Hail Marys and all that kind of stuff, and we're doing exactly the same thing just in another methodology. God forgave us the moment our heart turned to him in dire, desperate need, knowing that that's all we could get was grace. And we have to treat others that way. We have to be willing to forgive. Adam and Mrs. Adam disobeyed God in the garden, right? Cain killed his brother. And you can go through the scriptures and see all the others. Ouija was reading one time. She said, Freeman, 
Jacob's sons were rascals. You know, all those, the, the 12, the heads of the tribes, you read about them. Read about the stuff they did. How did God forgive? God forgives 100%. Absolutely, completely. And that's the way you and I are supposed to forgive. And when we do that, we, we mirror, we reflect Christ. If we're going to win our loved ones to Jesus, I don't know what they're, you know, I don't know what your loved one's doing. They may be out in the gay lifestyle. They may be doing drugs. They may be doing alcohol. They may be, be heterosexually immoral. I don't know. But we're going to have to reflect the love of Christ. A willingness to forgive them no matter what. All right, when they get saved, they're going to have to get right with me too because they hurt me. Your hurt doesn't measure up to God's. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Your sin and mine nailed the son of God to the cross. And if he can forgive us for doing that, we ought to be able to forgive people for whatever they've done to us. And if we do, we've gained our brother. And if, if they, they don't, we, we gain truth. And even if he gets all the way to the place to where the church has to withdraw fellowship, we're still expressing to them, we love you. We're concerned. You can't live this way and go on in the will of God. God won't allow you to do this. And it's just the church giving its testimony that way. 490 times. Get you a little tablet. I'm left-handed, so I have to do it this way. And when your wife offends you, make a little mark. Just keep marking them up. See how many you get. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who would stand? That's not the way we function. We don't even function that way. When, when there's been a rift, we want it fixed. And as men, can I challenge you guys? As men, we ought to be the leaders in the, in the home for this. If there's a rift, we ought to be the first one willing to say, I'm sorry. I'm grieved that there's been a problem in the home. He said, well, it's really her fault. Just don't worry about that. It's not, who, it's not who's wrong. It's what's wrong that matters. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Thank you that you forgave us absolutely, totally, and completely. We marvel at it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.